0: Hello everyone, you are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwall-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system okay welcome to the regenerative by design podcast i'm joni and we have an awesome guest today i'm so excited to have jess nad here calling in from manhattan kansas welcome jess it's my pleasure to be here joni thanks yeah this is awesome today we're going to talk about regenerative agriculture soil health and the great plains so we've got a ton of stuff to cover today it's going to be a great show and um, yeah, I'm just excited to get going, and it's a Monday morning here in northern Idaho, and it's it's not as frigid as it, as it has been the last couple of weeks. How are things in Kansas today?
1: Oh my gosh. So Kansas, we have crazy, we have all weather in Kansas. So last week we had upper 90s, a couple hundred degree spots, and then this week we're back wow. down to somewhat normal. We might be in the upper 70s today, but two weeks ago Ooh, I had my perfect. heater on. And we had some frost a couple, about two to three weeks ago, so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know I've been wearing my beanie hat the last few days. And in fact, I had it on this morning. I'm, I definitely have hat head, so I'm glad you guys can't see me. <laughs> well, awesome. So today, we are I, I think my readers would love to know about you, Jess. Um, you're a fantastic person, and it's been really fun getting to know you as part of the regenerative community. So I was wondering if you could start by just telling us a little bit about you and where you came from, where you grew up.
1: Yeah. So I'm in the middle of Kansas, specifically Manhattan, Kansas. And I joked prior that it's not the the middle of the United States of America, but I can see it from where I'm sitting. Um, I, you know, it's a, it's a farming area for sure. I grew up all around agriculture. I didn't have a farming family per se, but I think when you mm-hmm. live in Kansas, it's, it's the, the core of your fabric is to grow things. And I live mm-hmm. specifically kind of at the tip of the Flint Hills and your, your um, listeners should totally Google pictures of the Flint Hills because it's this gorgeous grassland prairie um, that it just takes my breath away. Every time I am able to go on a hike or or able to see this. So there's so much more to Kansas than just flat fields.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, for most people, when they think of Kansas, they do think of farming and they do think of growing. And of course they think about Dorothy and Toto and, you know, Wizard of Oz <laughs> and, and and just that agricultural heart of the nation. And um, I've actually never gotten a chance to explore much of Kansas. So it's on my list.
1: Absolutely. Well, give me a call when you do. You know, we're pretty passionate in the state of Kansas. And I, you know, I don't know how deep you want to get, but we're the type of people that we we farm and ranch through difficulties. Like our state motto is Ad Astra per Aspera, which is to the stars through difficulty so we actually know that we have different things that um aren't easy you know not everybody Mm -hmm. especially when this state was was being um you know when early settlers were coming to the state of Kansas this wasn't easy living so I think a lot of us the people of Kansas also have that mentality we have a get it done Mm -hmm. um not afraid to do hard work type mentality
0: Yeah, well, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and everybody I know from Kansas has an awesome degree of grit that I really respect and really love, So, and you guys are working on some really cool stuff in in Kansas. I have to say, I I don't know what the actual percentage is, but when I think about my regenerative farming community and a lot of the farmers I talk to every day, um, they're doing really innovative stuff in agriculture and in ranching. A lot of them come from Kansas. And so, yeah, I think that there's like this innovation hub when it comes to farming and ranching in Kansas right now, and I love that you really are kind of at the heartbeat of that, especially with your work with great plains regeneration, and it's it's a really it's a really cool thing going on and it's I wish everybody knew about it. And this is what we're going to talk about today.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So let me take you back about uh, 10 or 12 years ago. And you talk about people that have grit. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily, when you think of the innovation, you think of like these towns and these cities and Silicon Valley, East Coast, West Coast. I think that farmers and ranchers are innately innovative. They they do not get as much credit as what I think they have to. Mm-hmm. And so about 10 years ago, um, I was living in a smaller town in Kansas and I was beginning to to hear a little bit more about local food and about food deserts and I started asking a lot of questions, being naturally curious um, and it's funny that you say that some of these leaders are from Kansas because I would hear about some crazy guy in the next county over or a lady that was grazing differently and I'd hear all these outlier stories. And my, my first instinct is like, I need to know them. (laughs) Like, who are they? Let's go, let's go talk to (laughs) them. They're not weird to me.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's what we did.
1: That's what we did. We started, um, you know, asking questions and figuring out why people were doing things differently. And I realized that it's not for the glory. It's not for the fame. It's to actually make a difference for your Mm -hmm. own operation, for your family, to be able to not be the generation that that loses the farm to be able to have have something have the soil um, sustain life for more Mm -hmm. and more generations
0: oh that's awesome um you know this is a recurring theme in regenerative um now where you talk to so many farmers that say well at a certain point i didn't really know what i needed to do i just knew i needed to do it differently and then it started this whole discovery process where suddenly you start meeting new people that have been experimenting or doing things differently and now i feel like there's this nucleus of all these different movements and people across the globe actually but certainly across the united states that are all coming together under this banner of regenerative and it's got so many different names and i think sometimes we get really hung up on that but um the really powerful notion is is that it's a bunch of people that are thinking outside the box and harnessing that innovative mindset that often tech gets all the credit for but you know, when you look at um, feeding the world, that is going to require some significant innovation moving forward as we, you know, navigate these challenging times with climate and global economics and supply chain, et cetera. So it's, it's really cool, you know, just seeing what you guys are doing, but, you know, coming back to this whole notion of regenerative, what, what did you study growing up? Like, were you a student, uh, you didn't grow up farming, but what did you do and how did you come to be Kind of at the the heart of America's regenerative movement.
1: Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> you made my heart skip a beat. Um, so <laughs> I think that's such a great question. And I don't take any credit for for what the path that we're on, because it's been greatly accelerated these last two years. But to get to specific to your question is that I grew up in a household that put a lot of value on understanding. um backyard gardens and recycling and I know this sounds silly I actually started a, a recycling club at my elementary school in the fifth grade you know it's like nice. what can I do so <laughs> I feel like I've always been I've always been able to use my skills I'm not an agronomist I do my husband and I do farm we have some farm ground um we're heavily involved we do the things that we talk about um which I think is key but getting started I think I, I just grew up among people who didn't take food for granted Um, my parents kept big backyard gardens. It was a hobby of theirs. I also know that it sustained our family and I didn't know this until I had kids, you know, it's kind of one of those full circle conversations. But now that, now that I understand what they were trying to provide for us, they gave us this joy of trying new food, traveling, eating Mm -hmm. new food. Um, not because we had a ton of money to do that, but because we were able to do it in our own backyard. There's nothing greater than growing a bounty. Right. So those are the type of people that I came from. And then I went to an ag college and I got my undergraduate in social science of diversity. And I've always been involved in serving people and I've always been involved in in something related to food. Um, I worked Mm -hmm. in franchising for a number of years after college. And so I knew I knew how the food system worked. I knew how hospitality worked, but I never knew how the food got there. You know, that was kind of like the missing puzzle to this whole thing it's
0: been it's been mysterious for a long time intentionally you know
1: I think it is and I think that our kids in this generation I'm hoping that we're way more curious I hope that we're raising Mm -hmm. people who are way more curious to say well wait a second like what the heck is this what are we eating why are we eating it yeah
0: (laughs) you know how did it get here (laughs) right yeah that's absolutely awesome I I love that journey from the backyard garden because that it's a it's a very influential thing when you grow up with a garden and you do have, a, you view food through a different lens when you've been out there weeding and harvesting and you taste the difference between the stuff that's grown in the garden and the stuff that you get like sad limp down at the grocery store.
1: Oh, absolutely. And so I, when, when I got married and we had three babies all at once, I was doing all of this backyard homesteading. We had chickens and goats and donkeys. It was a funny farm, nice. right? <laughs> Because I knew that if I was going to be in this type of work, I need to have skin in the game. I had to know, you know, I had to figure out how to do this. I'm married to a master gardener agronomist. You know, he's kind of the the whiz when it comes to all this. But, um, you know, when I finally realized that I needed to be out there growing my own food and seeing what worked and didn't work, um, I became obsessed with heirloom seeds. And Mm -hmm. um, I used my goal was I didn't have a huge budget. So I would try to plant things that would come back year after year. So I found this really great um black tomato that I absolutely loved and I fed it to my father in law who grew up on the farm, grew up, you know, eating all of their own food. And he his head just exploded. He goes, I forgot what tomatoes taste like.
0: Yeah. You know, he was having
1: like a food memory from a previous life and he's like, I forgot because we're eating this crap from the grocery store. And so And it's just
0: not the same.
1: No, like that's so cool. Those nutrients spoke to his body. I swear to you, <laughs> that sounds mm-hmm. crazy, but
0: <laughs> yeah. But also, these seeds are pretty outstanding. These, um, yeah, you know, I always call them open source seeds. Just to lean into that tech um, <laughs> culture a little bit. But you know, they're they're open pollinated and they're not they're not sterile hybrids, so they do like self perpetuate. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for those of us who work in that sovereign seed movement and do more permaculture gardening. Like this year. I haven't been home for a weekend in a month. So clearly I've not done any gardening. My garden is looking like a jungle. But I went out there the other day and there's all these like baby tomatoes coming up and all these Mm -hmm. all these different things coming up. Like I could not plant anything intentionally and I would have a full garden of stuff this year just because of using the seeds that are self-perpetuating. And that's a powerful notion on a huge macroeconomic scale level, especially when you look at where our agricultural world is today, where it's literally at the mercy of hybridized, you know, proprietarily IP protected seeds. Mm -hmm. So no, I think that's that's
1: absolutely key. And that's the whole thing, that excitement of knowing, oh, my gosh, what is this? You know, we've got this six inch tomato plant. We don't know what variety is. You know, we have to like watch it. Yeah. But no, that's really great. You know, um, I'm going to skip around a little bit. We've got producers in our network from uh, that work with us at Great Plains of Generation that are doing some more heritage and heirloom wheat seed and it's been really fun these last two years to watch them recycle their seed and sell them to their Mm -hmm. neighbors and basically get everybody on board with growing this nutrient-dense crop that we used to have and you were also talking just a second ago about some generations we've forgotten some of this what is so exciting mm-hmm. is every once in a while, it when when if I'm in a room of people and whatever the context it's an event or maybe I'm just at the coffee shop, there's a certain age le- level of, of the the older generation, like the great grandfathers, great grandmothers. They remember mm-hmm. farming this way. They're like, they oh, do. yeah, yeah. We just call that farming. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, what did you guys so do to screw this up?
0: Yeah, like you talk about the older generation thinking back to how their gardens tasted and looked when they were kids. And I've had a lot of really cool, insightful conversations with my father-in-law, Jack. He grew up in Cutbank, Montana, and he's 90. Um, This month he's turning 90. And he talks about how they, they didn't have a wide variety of crops in their backyard garden, like compared to what we have now. You go to the grocery store, there's just a bazillion things from around the world. But the variety of the things they grew was really fantastic, like potatoes alone, tomatoes, et cetera, like such a different taste and feel to what you can get at a grocery store nowadays.
1: Oh, I think that's so key. And um, I think that innately, farmers and ranchers, people that grow food, backyard gardeners, we understand diversity and we mm-hmm. understand that the, the more you're able to create that diversity in your gardening operation, the better the better your crops are going to be, the less pressures you're going to have. And that's a major principle of regenerative agriculture. And just to kind of give clarity on what I do, I see myself in that role as being able to provide the people diversity. Because like I said, I'm not an agronomist. I'm not, I'm not a soil mm-hmm. scientist. I'm a person who's a connector and I help the farmers and ranchers that desire the information, obtain the information from the people that know it right? So Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. that diversity, which is important, (laughs) yeah,
1: you know, it's multifaceted. It's, it's people diversity too. And that's what I love about. I love about what I get to do every day. It just feels challenging, but yet, yes, we're making an impact.
0: Yes, you are. And now tell us a little bit about what you do. Can you give us a a brief history for those of us, for the listeners who are listening and they're not familiar with Great Plains Regeneration, Could you give us a little history on how you got started and what the aims of the organization are?
1: Fantastic. Yes. So I do, for the last um, many years, I've worked as an independent content consultant for a lot of different companies. I've worked for news media companies. I've worked for startup companies. um, And I, like I said, I'm that connector. I'm able to bring new ideas in a fresh new way to be able to impact change, right? So um, in 2020, uh, we had a network of farmers and ranchers. We got together and decided to form Great Plains Generation. We have an amazing board and advisors, everybody from John Rulak to Nicole Ragland, um, Gail mm-hmm. Fuller in Kansas, Graham Christensen in Nebraska. So we've got this Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Colorado, Missouri, Texas vibe going on right now. Mm-hmm. And the idea mm-hmm. is just to liaison a lot of these big ideas. Um, to be an organization so that we can work threefold on watershed regeneration, education, and new market development are kind of the broad Mm -hmm. categories that we're trying to put our mission work into. So So
0: it's it's been been a lot, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so this region you just named that, you know, really your group is you know, drawing its talent and influence from right now is really like a lot of the heart of the agricultural world of our nation, not to exclude the upper Northwest, because that's really significant too. But you guys draw your water from a shared water source. And, um, you know, there are going to be some significant challenges when it comes to watershed management moving forward with what's happening with the Ogalagua aquifer. I always mispronounce the name. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but you it's nailed it. time. It never comes it never comes out quite right. <laughs> it's like I always trip over it or something. Yeah. But um, you know, it's I think that you know, when you look at farming on a large scale that goes beyond state boundaries, it's an important mindset shift for agriculture where we're looking at agricultural regions by watershed, um, rather than just by state or county or some sort of line that's set by a conservation district or something
1: you nailed it and that's exactly why we have kind of a loose definition of what our geography is because we don't want to limit ourselves on projects that we're able to take on just because of a state line and Mm -hmm. now that also makes the nonprofit side you know the the organizational side that can be kind of difficult but we're figuring out ways to overcome that but no I think that living in Kansas it's very Kansas is a big state and you've got like the northeastern part of the state, the southwestern part of the state, and those are two completely different microclimates. And um, we mm. talk a lot about the education that we deliver. It has to be place-based and appropriate. So we talk about the principles of regenerative agriculture. I believe that anywhere you have soil or some type of soil-like medium, you can do regenerative agriculture. The practices in which you would employ to to achieve your principles or achieve your mission might look different and they look different in the northeastern part of the state of kansas than even just the southwestern part of the state so i'm always i'm i always talk about this place based idea now just because we're talking about different practices you're right that watershed feeds us all nourishes us all Mm -hmm. so we need to make sure that all of our practices align with regeneration so that we can and, and there are communities in kansas that are in dire need already I don't know if you're on LinkedIn I have a couple really great farmer friends that post modern day decibel images and in fact um,
0: yes yeah I've been seeing a lot of those recently quite startling imagery I must confess like you see it and you're just like what is that a movie nope it's actually just shot from their barn looking out looking east or something you know it's really pretty scary
1: well, and one of my colleagues, Jimmy Emmons, has a PowerPoint presentation on this. And he, throughout his presentation, he's got these black and white photos, right, of the Dust Bowl. Well, a couple slides in, he re- reveals that these are colorized photos that were taken over recent years. And so it's really wow. trying to impact people. Like, this is real. This can happen again. And I used to live in a different part of the state than I do now. The, mm-hmm. the wind was constant and... <laughs> I'm just joking. It's not the actual reason why we left, but (laughs) it's, you know, when, when you, when your kiddos can't play outside because it's hazy and it's constantly dusty, that's bad for your health. That's bad for your lungs. You know, we all know about wearing masks these days, but, um, yeah, it's, it blows my mind and we need to, we need to have, we need to have some great awakenings with soil health. Um, Not only the state of Kansas, and I'm not trying to pick on the state of Kansas because at the same time, you know, we are great innovators and we are doing amazing things, but what we always talk about, let's, let's take it back to the soil level. Each 1% increase of soil organic matter is going to help uh, 25,000 acres be stored, excuse me, 25,000 gallons of water be stored per acre. So when you start talking in those terms, um, and, and helping producers see that you've got to penetrate that, that soil aggregation. We need to improve our mm-hmm. soil, increase soil organic matter, and you're actually going to be able to use more water, and it's not going to run off, and then we're not going to blow.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a practice. And it's, it's a it's an interesting notion of conservation of resources when you're looking at, like, okay, you get a set amount of rain. We can't dictate. I mean, Mother Nature's in charge of if it's going to rain a lot or rain too little like that just kind of comes at us out of left field but you can control the absorptive powers of your topsoil and what how your farm will utilize that water you know is it going to be efficiently absorbed or is it are you going to just let it run off it's a big deal
1: absolutely you know and we are singing a changing climate You know, whether you want to call it a changing climate or climate change, I don't really care (laughs) at the end of the day. Right. You know, it's going on. And we've got producers in our network that have gone over a year without an inch of rain in a a single rainfall event. I mean, that's, this is going to be a big deal, you
0: know. (laughs) Yeah, it is a huge deal. Yeah. And we've got to get really serious about doing something about it now. And you look at this disconnect of, you know, people who do live in, maybe an urban area downstream, and they're like, well, why should I care about soil health out there in the yonderlands and rural Kansas? But the next huge diluge from a thunderstorm that comes through when there's no aggregation, like no penetration, all that water runs off, and then you have catastrophic flooding. And that affects Mm -hmm. everybody downstream, whether they're living in a, a condo apartment right downtown or if they're living out on the farm.
1: Absolutely. And what people don't realize is the same general area where we have extreme drought, we will actually have extreme flooding too. Yep,
0: like, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's correlated. It's I, you part know, of it. <laughs> it is, you know, and it, and it's gloom and doom, but it's also, it provides, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to make a positive out of a negative because this is a very serious topic and we need to make sure that we have all hands on deck, but the last two years have changed This topic so dramatically we've got Mm -hmm. people at at all levels of the government talking about it we just had the climate smart commodities grant opportunity happening right Mm -hmm. now for a lot of companies a lot of organizations like gpr are involved with these proposals um and then i was pouring my coffee creamer and it uses uh we have a dairy allergy in our family and the logo on my coffee creamer this morning was talking about soil health and it was talking about how foods oh, wow. are good for the soil, and I was like, "This is so fantastic," you know. Yeah. And and it's funny yeah. because I've been I've I've been that crazy lady talking about soil for all these years, and now all of my friends mm-hmm. are like, "Wow, this is really a thing, Jessica!" Like we didn't yeah. know what the heck you were talking about all this time.
0: Um, yeah, but now and we're and getting Jess other like- people. <laughs> yeah, you're like finally <laughs> we've been waiting. Yeah, I feel like the, the the narrative has changed a lot in the last couple of years. I agree with you, and it's so refreshing seeing soil on a CPG package and getting permission to do that. Because for so long we've, you know, like I own a CPG brand and we've been wanting to go there and talk about those kind of things. And people are like, you can't talk about soil on a package. Nobody wants to think about dirt. That's like the wrong correlation. And I'm like, yeah, but. Is it like, I, I, you know, and and it's, it's a really tough thing for brands to navigate. And the dialogue has just changed a lot because we did a whole series in 2018 and 2019 on climate impact farming and why biodiversity was important. Cause that's the, the pillar of my company that we really, you know, hang our hat on. And I got more hate mail and I lost followers when we ran that campaign over like three months because no people were so mad. I talked about climate and food being in the same sentence.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yep. It
0: was so discouraging.
1: <laughs> I mean, I do but see that. Learn. I mean, I do see that because in the beginning, I think that when when I was doing this line of work, I always joke because if you were depending on where you are, you'd have to like look over your shoulder each way and be like, hey, have you heard about regenerative agriculture? Right. Because I live in Kansas <laughs> yeah. where all right. of this conventional right. agas. Now I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel like I, mm-hmm. I used to always have to know your context because you don't want to be. A dead horse, or you don't want to beat, you know, if somebody is convinced that this isn't the way, first of all, let me just clarify: Great Plains Generation doesn't tell farmers how to farm. All we do mm-hmm. is provide resources. And so somebody asked me one time, they're like, Well, what do you say to XYZ group? Or what do you say when these people do that? And I said, Nothing. They didn't ask me. <laughs> you know, they didn't ask me for my opinion. <laughs> I a good stick. Answer. <laughs> you know, you you stick to the. There are so many people that want this information right now. That oh we, my
0: goodness, especially that, this year,
1: especially this year that we stick to the mm-hmm. folks and the organizations that want to do it. Now that's not to say that these big ag companies aren't talking to us, but they're mm-hmm. trying to they're trying to figure it out too.
0: And they are. They it's are. shocking.
1: It's shocking to see the people that are understanding that. We need to be promoting services and practices and technical advisement, and that by doing Mm -hmm. that, we're going to be able to have more robust farming operations.
0: Yeah, and it's a resiliency play in addition to a resource scarcity response, and I think that that's something that's been really amplified this year with the crisis out of Ukraine and Russia. Where for years we've been working with farmers as you, I mean, we, you and I as a we, it like, hey, you can cut down your dependency on chemical inputs from the outside, by using these farming practices and that makes you more, you know, financially solvent, of course, but then also more resilient and independent where you're not dependent on these outside things coming in. Yeah. You know, a lot of like shaking and nodding and like, oh, sure. Okay. Well now suddenly <laughs> the cost of nitrogen and I mean, just look at anhydrous alone. Holy camoly. I I have farmers now reaching out to me going, oh, I remember you giving a talk about this um, type of farming years back and we want to hear about it now. What were you guys talking about? You got rid of anhydrous? You know, I'm like, well, I'm not an agronomist, but the farmers I work with and the the guys I work with who run those programs can tell you all about it. And yes, you don't have to be dependent on that stuff.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly what we do too, because I agree with that. We, and it's, it's sometimes the people that maybe had the most negative knee-jerk reaction to you years ago that are like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, because they remembered something oh, yeah. you said. And I also think, Joni, that we can prove it now. In the early mm-hmm. stages, I, I do remember, you know, I talked about that one guy in the county doing something different, the one lady grazing differently. We didn't really have research mm-hmm. and data. And so when we talk about the ag yeah. innovation side of this, I feel like we're proving this out and yes what the early innovators did for us oh you know 20 30 years ago the dave brands the gabe browns the gail fullers we can Mm -hmm. actually advance their systems we can do that a lot faster now because of the amazing work that they did and their willingness to be open sourced with their information share
0: yeah yeah which is huge that they haven't tried to like keep it all hidden um, and they're an, an outstanding group of people, these pioneers in regenerative. I mean, they're walking their talk and mm-hmm. walking their belief system and truly trying to make our world a better place and more sustainable and more well, regenerative, of course. But
1: <laughs> Exactly. And Rick Clark was just in Kansas a couple of weeks ago, and he actually was sitting there, you know, tweaking his slides to make sure that they reflected the exact price of his inputs so that he could show you what that bottom line, what the ROI looked like. To me, that's impressive.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, it's that not is just, impressive. It's not just a producer up there saying, oh, I made a thousand bucks an acre in 2018. You know, give mm-hmm. us real life. But what, like- what producers need to know is they need logistics, but they also need strategy and they need to be able to convert that mm-hmm. into action on the farm. It's if we all just sit around yep. and talk about the principles, but don't actually help producers implement them um mm-hmm, according to mm-hmm. what they have what they have access access to then yeah like that's that should be the focus
0: well that's a really important part, point because when you do look at more of a detailed like spreadsheet view into someone's farming system and you see where they're you know what investments they're making and what the ROI on those investments are for their system and that ROI could be financial or it could be other things you know and for when you take that out of that farming context and put it into another region it it gives um, the new farmer a place to start where they're like, well, I can't do all of this today, but based on my farming system, I could do these two things this year, and those two things I'm guessing are going to have a really high ROI on my system from a, you know, financial or you know, all the different checkpoints that aren't just money, of course. But um, it's really fun to see this cross collaboration into new regions using this model of sharing, like totally, radically transparent sharing
1: oh it's amazing i one of my favorite farmers i hate to say that because i love them all but one of my favorite farmers (laughs) is a young millennial farmer named matt kincaid he's in missouri and he talks a lot about um so he was in a situation where um he started off with like 40 acres his father had passed and so he had to understand real cost i 'm not talking about yeah. what the farm budget was, like he had to he had to understand every single item so that he could farm at age eighteen or nineteen, um, have wow. a wife, have three or four kiddos um, so he one thing he talks about is that if your operation if you guys don't understand what your actual cost of business is that's what you need to do from mm-hmm. there because from there mm-hmm. you will make decisions that support not only the sustainability of your crops but the sustainability of your business because you understand right the business side so it was just so refreshing to hear yeah um this young person very empowering who, even though he's not technically a, a first-generation farmer but he had to look at things financially way different than anybody else above him
0: mm-hmm. to be able to get started mm-hmm. so when
1: we get real costs associated i think that's how we can start to make real change but anyway the story about mac yeah. is you know, check him out and you should have him on the podcast. He's great. Um, Yeah, I'd love to. (laughs) He just talks about once you understand the financial side and you start to understand the biology, the decision making Mm -hmm. becomes easier and you can sleep at night. So you don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, I'm going to make this huge change that nobody else is doing. Who cares what everybody else is doing? That's the best decision Mm -hmm. for you financially and for your system biologically you know, so
0: go do it. Yeah. Well, you look around and a lot of the farmers I know are like, I started looking around and my fear of doing things differently dissolved because I saw that everyone else wasn't doing so good, you know? So like, why is there the pressure to mimic what everybody else is doing when they're either not breaking even or barely breaking even year after year and not having a good time? And that's a huge thing that I, as a nurse i want to always advocate for is that farmers are leading our suicide rates as a nation and because of this intense pressure they're under and it is it is largely farmers who are in conventional large scale agricultural settings um that well moderate to large that they're just folding under the pressure of how to make this work financially in the face of reducing you know having failing um crop yields year after year while still investing the same amount in their inputs, it's that the inputs are failing us. So all of the financial decisions that were made in the last ten years were based on a model that, you know, the the rep drug reps um, basically were like, hey, if you keep doing this and buying this, you're going to have you're, you're going to have exponential increase in yields. But they didn't realize that once the soil became so depleted that that whole algorithm and that whole equation would not sustain itself, and now they're stuck with upside down financial pictures and it's a catastrophe. And we've got to get really real about how to fix that. It's a big deal. We shouldn't have our farmers leading the suicide rates in our nation.
1: It's a topic that is way too close to me. I mean, it's way Mm -hmm. too close. And um, years ago in 2018, I started, um, we have a big event that we do called Soul Health You. And the director at the time had come to me and he said, Jessica, how do we get more well here's the direction I'm going to go he asked me how do we get more women involved with soil health and I was like well my answer was pay for their ticket let them come for free but to kind of piggyback off of what you're talking about these topics affect the entire family unit not just the Mm -hmm. farmer we typically think of the farmer as as the the male leader but this affects the wives the mothers the daughters it affects everybody and so everybody needs to be at the table and everybody needs Mm -hmm. to be able to have the ability to be at the table and so what i've seen um uh, two things that made me think about what you just said first of all high plains journal did an amazing um journalistic series on the farmer suicide topic and i remember years ago when we first started talking about this people were so afraid to tackle this issue Mm-hmm. They said, no, And they surely, still are. surely farmers yeah. can't be taking their own lives because of farming oh, issues, yeah. but mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've been there. It's like I said, it's too close to home. And then second yeah, of all, it's a big deal. You know, us women kind of just took it upon ourselves to figure this out, you know? And so mm-hmm. we have this group. It's a fun group, um, our soil sister group, and you're totally a part of it, Joni. And what's
0: what awesome. I,
1: ha- I I work with other consultants like myself, there's soil scientists, we've got moms, PhDs, we've got women in all aspects, and, and we're here for the soil. And so we actually Amazing. try to get together. I know we try to get together yeah. um, maybe once a year, but uh, we also plan a lot oh, of events cool. together. So it's the soil sisters trying to also.
0: The soil <laughs> sisters. I love that. It's the soil sisterhood. <laughs> yep that's so cool I love. but that's that. what we
1: have to do and it, my first interview that I did in let's see 2018 was with the producer in Oklahoma his name was Tom Cannon and when he invited mm-hmm. me to the farm he said meet me at the home home place so I met him there well his mother was there she was in her 90s and mm-hmm. um it became very clear that she's the one I needed to interview so I sat oh, down cool. with her and I got my camera and I I asked her all these questions and you know what she said to me? She so cute. She called me Jesse. She said, Jessie, here's the thing. I didn't need to know anything about soil health because her son had her husband had passed away. Tragically, her son had came back to the farm. Money was tight. Mm-hmm. They, they got rid of the tillage equipment, sold it so that they could keep farming. He started learning mm-hmm. about uh, no till, no till in the plains and um, no till farming. He, she said to me, she goes, she goes, Jessie, I didn't need to know any of those details. I keep the books. The books oh my
0: gosh. showed
1: me that this way of farming was profitable.
0: Wow. That is a powerful, powerful statement right there. Yep. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm really altruistic, but money, you know, money talks. It, it's really the, the bottom line of everything. It, it, you know, it does make a lot of the big decisions in the world. So that's a powerful notion. Mm-hmm. I love it, yeah. Jesse. And we, I know she, she was Jessie so now. cute she was so
1: cute she was so cute in fact she uh, well I'll have to put this in the link but there's a story about her acquiring the land during the land acquisition uh she was a person or actually I think it was her mother was was a person who had to like beat a, ma- a man in a horse race to win forty. 40- no <laughs> yeah it was this this great That's story so cool such a great story amazing
0: so, Well, we'll have to put the link to that recording in the show notes for people who want to go hear this, because that sounds like an incredible interview. How cool. So tell us just a little bit more about, you know, the farmers that you are working with, like, what kind of crops are you seeing that are, you know, I know you guys go all it, you know, you expand beyond Kansas, of course, and you do integrate livestock. Um, What do you see the big crops coming out of your farming group? You know, what am I trying to say? Like, yeah. What is the dominance, like as far as the crops going to market out of your farming systems?
1: Well, our particular area there's a lot of crops you know we have multiple seasons, so we've got corn soy um, Kansas mm-hmm. is known as the wheat state kansas uh, nebraska is is known as the corn husker state um, and so mm-hmm. I do see the commodity crops as as still being you know the commodity crops crops are still king in our area. What mm-hmm. I am seeing mm-hmm. is i'm seeing um with the introduction of the climate smart agriculture I think we're going to see these commodity crops grown in a manner that is then identity preserved and we're going to be able to Mm -hmm. understand the whole supply chain and we're going to be able to get those so that's a huge change even over a year um overall my heart is in Kansas and so I do see our farmer Network working on the heritage wheat and the heritage grains that can go into different milling projects and maybe get to the consumer faster we've worked with uh, we did a big R&D project that was head up last year by John Rulak on a farmer mill a farmer owned uh, milling operation and so what we found is that being able to utilize the heritage grains and then a very mm-hmm. specific milling process that we were able to create a superfood, you know, wheat superfood. Yeah. It would used to be the bad guy, right?
0: Um, yeah. But right. what if we That's were, we're going to push back? Yeah, <laughs> <on> <laughs> You're this, exactly. This sure. like anti, anti-grain movement, you know, where it's like, well, no wonder everyone's anti-grain. We've ruined our grain segment and turned it yeah. into like a toxic, highly processed um, drug for all practical mm-hmm. purposes. I mean, everyone loves to give, you know other things that the, a bad name for being the gateway drug, but let's get real. It's like, look at little Debbie. I mean, if there was ever a gateway drug, there it is. Oh <laughs> my like, gosh. Really? Well, you
1: know? it, it's Sorry, so crazy. But... <laughs> like we're going to bash, we're going to bash this natural wheat process, but yet like, you know, if you're hungry and grumpy, you should have a Snickers. Like,
0: you know what I mean? It's Right. This... <laughs> so messed up. <laughs> it's so messed up. And then you look at these landrace varieties of wheats and A, they're super drought resistant, which is huge. They have major soil conditioning properties. Like their exudates in the soil are like completely different than other wheats. And they do have a really superior nutritional profile. It Mm -hmm. turns the whole paradigm upside down. um, When you look at this kind of knee jerk reaction that the American public has right now of like, oh, well, I don't eat grains. Like I hear yeah. that all the time from people and I'm like, oh really? So you're on the let's go extinct fast diet. Cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we can't, we can't feed the world on this kind of, you know, like we need high quality grains to feed the world into the future. I'm sorry, but that's just the reality.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and we've that's- got to fight
0: to take that Vertical back, we've got it's to fight to take that vertical back. Staff
1: of life, man, like that's the life-giving mm-hmm. properties inside of there, and we're so deficient. What's been really cool is being able to work with folks like you who have the nutrition side of things too. So we're mm-hmm. also able to get collect that data. We're working with, um, like, we've uh, last year we had Sarah Keo come and d- give a two-day um, presentation at, at one of our events called Fuller Field School and we've worked with uh, Aaron Martin cool. who is also a gerontologist. Oh, Aaron's
0: amazing. I know, yeah.
1: isn't she? She's a superstar. She's super cool. Sure. But what I'm yeah. saying is that once you start there's there's not even separation anymore. Like it used to be like, oh, you're talking about soil and the next thing you know, like down the line it's like, "Hey, what about nutrition?" Now it's the same topic. Like soil, mm-hmm, soil as nutrition, like absolutely. Yep. Um we're yeah. trying to put that nutrient density back into the conversation.
0: Absolutely. And nutrient density is a reflection of an intact ecosystem on the farm. And, and that's where we've got to go. We've got to take consumers there like our brand. I mean, we're little, we probably, this is a big leap. That's a little scary, but we're, we're going to have a metric on our bags by this fall. that's going to invite people into this experience that says, okay, there's this metric and it talks about biodiversity carbon sequestration, water conservation, and nutrient density. And what we want people to get out of that is that that drives everything that's on the nutritional panel. It's time we stop just looking at the nutritional panel because that is like a teeny little thread snapshot of what that food represents from a health perspective. And it's very egocentric. It's like, oh, how's this gonna affect me? Like, what are the calories? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, where did this food come from? Where did this come from? Is it exploiting other people or destroying natural resources to get to your plate? So do you really feel that great about eating it now? You know, like these are some difficult conversations that we need to have the American public step up and take on and actually get real about their food.
1: Oh, absolutely. And as a mom, that conversation came to me as a rude awakening because I I had a Mm -hmm. son that dealt with some issues after he was born. Long story, but it helped me realize that there's a difference between folic acid and folate right Mm -hmm. and so i Mm -hmm. actively seek out things that are using folate which is the natural that's what your body can utilize and so we did a lot of grain enrichment on the back end Mm -hmm. because the grain that we were producing Mm -hmm. didn't have that nutrient quality so we were enriching especially in the united states we were enriching our food products right Mm -hmm. so how how did that work out
0: Yeah, that's an interesting conversation. I started um, going there a little bit with Claudia, the director of uh, California Wheat Commission. And, you know, just, I feel like this would be a fun, like a panel discussion to record where we really kind of take the deep dive into that enrichment side of things and the pros and cons and the things that worked and didn't work and the good, the bad, and the ugly, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we should. It's, it'd be a really great topic. I think people would love to hear it. So, you know, I'm sure after our listeners you know hear this fun high energy conversation they're going to want to know how a they can get involved and 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 find you what what action items they can do because I think with climate um with the helpless feelings of knowing that our global food supply chains are all messed up a lot of people just feel really hopeless like they don't really know what they can do to get involved They don't know how they can make a difference and they don't know how they can still stay hopeful in the face of all this stuff. So to wrap up our talk, I'd love you to just, um, you know, riff on that for a second.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the most immediate way of connecting is just go to GreatPlainsRegen.org, and we've got a tab called join the Regen team. And on there you can join our team and and be a part of our network. Um, So we also are suggesting that people check out Regenerate Nebraska, Regenerate Oklahoma, um those are two of our sister Mm -hmm. organizations that we're working on cool and and i hate to be cliche it because i'm a mom and we Joni. you and i have talked several times i'm like hey let's reschedule i've got soccer you know like we've got this going on with that so i'm not perfect i'm not perfect (laughs) when it comes to this but but teach your kids about food and um plant Mm -hmm. a garden you know that all sounds hilarious until you have these three children (laughs) That's what you're trying to. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it's like, it's a tough balancing act. But, you know, honestly, like even just doing a little bit better, if everybody did that, it's the, the weight of that is far better than a few people being perfect. And Absolutely. quite frankly, like perfection's overrated. Like it just, I don't even know. I would give up if I were striving for perfection. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, and I would just be like, forget it.
1: <laughs> my parents did this thing when we were younger. They called it being a food pioneer. and feel free to take this term and run with it but when I was a kid growing up um they I don't know why they did this I should ask them I should call them and ask them but whenever we went to a restaurant or whenever we were at the farmer's market which is which we went to frequently we had to try something new and you had to be a food pioneer mm-hmm. and you had to at least have one bite and if you didn't like it whatever you can make yourself a peanut butter and jelly and starve yeah. or <laughs> you right. can try something yeah. new
0: if you don't if you don't like what we're cooking, you can learn to cook. That's House. what I tell my kids. And exactly. Yeah. My 10 year old's going through one of those phases and she does, she just cooks her own, what she wants. And then we don't critique it unless it's mm-hmm. something really junky, but yeah. I'm like, that's fine. If you want to take your, your food into your own hands, by all means, don't let me stop you. But you know, she's just rebellious 10 year old, I guess Oh, I totally <laughs> we'll be eating this amazing too. meal and she's making her own thing. I'm like, okay, whatever. But I agree this, this food pioneer notion where it's like, if we don't tell kids, if we don't remind them that they're picky, they'll probably forget about being picky.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, there's
0: always those kids that just are picky by nature, but I think more of them are taught that pickiness is something that's an expectation. And I just don't buy into that at all.
1: I know. And I know that these, this, this, this time period for us as moms is so short.
0: Just, uh, Mm -hmm. is my advice because I don't want to sound like I got a,
1: do the best you can. That's all you can do, Mama. <laughs> like, that's all you can yeah. do. Yeah,
0: and if you've been in a bad rut, just start tomorrow being like, you know what? We've been in a bad rut. We're going to get back on the wagon, and we're going to, you know, let's let's go buy a couple of pots at the at Home Depot, if that's what you have, and get a couple of plants and grow a tomato and a pepper and a zucchini, and that's it. Like, it's amazing how much joy you can get out of just a couple simple little plants, and then your kids will learn fundamentally that that's actually where food comes from which is a powerful notion that will change the rest of their life so this is this is awesome Jess I love it when I get a chance to talk to you we are always on the same page and have so much fun it's too bad you live a thousand miles away or something like that hey come visit come visit <laughs> yeah I would love to well we'll put links we'll put links where people can learn more and just to clarify if if our listeners are not farmers and not involved in regen food etc can they still sign up and just be participants and just learners
1: absolutely in fact that's where we see most of our incoming web traffic it's just people that are like keep up the good work you know uh,
0: yay that's great that's powerful i love that so listeners remember it don't feel like oh i'm not a farmer i can't get involved yes you can because the most powerful thing behind this movement will be ultimately the vote from the consumers that go, you know what, we're tired of this and we want a better food system and we're willing to put our, you know, money to work buying higher quality foods wherever you can. And I mean, I'm sensitive to budget because I mean I have a startup. God only knows that oh, that'll yeah. kill your whatever budget you ever had. But um, you know, it's amazing what you just identify what is most meaningful and that's what you prioritize. And boy, it's it does make a difference. It really does. So yeah. Um awesome. Jess Thank you so much. And um, this hour went by really fast. I just appreciate you taking the time out of your day.
1: It was. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Okay. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.